welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in this very special mailbag episode, we are reading out some of your bloody emails. Yay! <laughs> yeah, we bloody love an email. We do, we do. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. This is our very first ever mailbag episode. So we're about to find out how good we are at doing mailbags. <laughs> True. It's it's a new it's new territory for us. I'm very yeah. excited. <laughs> very excited. Yeah, well, I know that you you did something at the weekend that's probably of, of interest to his dark materials people. You went you visited somewhere. I saw oh, you yeah, thinking about it. You were like, what did I do? And I was like, you went to Oxford <laughs> literally two days ago. <laughs> Uh, my brain is just a bit of a save. I'm quite frazzled at the moment. Yeah, I went to Oxford to visit a friend. So we didn't spend a ton of time in the centre of Oxford. Uh, we just like quickly popped to MS and then hopped on a bus. But we went through Summertown and we were staying on Banbury Road, which I feel like are places and road names that are mentioned within the books. They sound familiar either because I've looked at them on Google when I was trying to work out where I was staying or because they're the books. <laughs> also, like Banbury Road is a massive massive road like it's one of those roads that just kind of goes on forever like right from the center of town right to the outskirts which i feel like is why maybe it's on the list of things that are mentioned i don't know it was very good and i'm looking forward to visiting again because my friend ash that we were staying with was staying with my friends jess and ash and their brand new baby um or nearby them so that we could pop in and not disturb the baby who does not do the sleeping thing because he is very small. Um, but Ash used to do walking tours of Oxford back way back when. And he used to fit in things like, he'd all, constantly get asked, like, is that Jordan College from the His Dark Materials books? And he'd just be like, Jordan College doesn't exist. Yes, yes, that's Jordan College. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to potentially get him to give us a walking tour guide plan something for when we finally eventually go <laughs> yes i would love that i uh everybody already knows this i've never been mm-hmm. so i'm looking forward to it shame <laughs> how dare i how dare i um but no that's exciting i did something very exciting do you want to know what i did that was very exciting what did you do that was very exciting apart from uh consuming every imaginable piece of pop culture podcasts uh tv shows youtube videos about burbanum that i could get my hand on because i'm still on that hyperfixation that hasn't changed since two weeks ago i went to my first gig yeah yes first gig since we saw chris farron oh no oh, no 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 actually that's wrong because i went to see the band that i saw on saturday on my birthday last year um, but before that, it was when we saw Chris Farron, which was like a year and a half ago, maybe. So that's a, another shout out to Breakfast with Bears, who's the Yay. band that Faye lives with, a member of, yeah. <laughs> not the whole band. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, our friend's band, Breakfast with Bears. And do you know what? They were so good. Like, I, I felt so proud. Like, I was really emotional. I was like, this is yeah. so good. <laughs> They've been practicing for so long and they sounded really great. I love being at gigs and it was just great. 
It's really nice that your first first post-pandemic gig back has been a friend's gig as well. That's really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it was great. And then afterwards I got too drunk and might have stayed up till 6am and then was really hungover the next day. And Rich was messaging me being like, how are you? And I was like, I want to kill myself, Rich. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. That's the problem with being middle-aged, Faye. Oh my God, don't even, <laughs> don't even, oh my God. Hangovers just hit you harder. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to call him out live on the podcast. Joe, who is in Breakfast with Bears, is, is a young lad. <laughs> That's me. That makes me sound <laughs> even more middle-aged. <laughs> yes. He's 23 and he called me middle-aged and I honestly, I can't get over it. I just can't You're get only over it. 29? 29. You're yeah. not even 30. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Middle-aged. That's a, maybe he's just like a fortune teller and then he's seen that you're only going to make it to 60. That's morbid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm still not over it. But anyway, that was a really rough weekend. In term, it was a great weekend, but in terms of in terms of my liver and my fucking head on Sunday, Jesus, mm-hmm. help. Um, and we're going on holiday next week. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. It is. I need to like do that thing, like shake myself out of my convention anxiety. Um, um, I, my brain is currently going like a thousand miles a minute, like trying to plan everything that I need to do between now and the 22nd of August. Designer Con, London. I will be there. Table 123. I got told the <laughs> other day what my table is. I think that's right. I don't know. But that's what I'm like, my first big con back from the pandemic and I'm panicking about getting stuff done for it so I really need to like give myself a big old like kick up the butt to like be like no you're gonna go on holiday and you're gonna have a good time and you're not gonna feel guilty about taking time off and doing the thing just because you've got an event to worry about because I will constantly just be like I could just be doing some work on the side yeah and you need a break you barely had a break this year can't really book holiday days i am my own hr department and my own boss and unfortunately i don't get holiday pay so it's not quite the same yeah you still need time off there and then when you're back uh, when you're back you'll be refreshed i bloody hope so i hope i'll be refreshed and not just hung over from a week of partying with Faye. yeah jesus i uh, can be quite the bad influence our entire friendship group is a terrible influence on each other like i am worried for my liver to be honest i'm planning on having quite a lot of just nice chill evenings i noticed that our friend claire has put morning early morning swims on the schedule for every single morning that we're there so i mean at least that might refresh you (laughs) do you know what i said about that to zach he was like have you seen those early morning swims and i was like yeah i just plan on staying up (laughs) I'd like to try and do at least one. Yeah, I uh, know I would, I would. I won't do very well because the sea will be fucking freezing because this is England. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I, I'll, be in, I'll be in the sea as much as I can, but also I'm just planning on staying up from the night before and then going for the early morning to swim. I am terrible. I'm so sorry, everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like I've regressed. Do you know, like, because we haven't been able to do any of this stuff for so long. Like, I feel like before the pandemic, I was, at, I used to be quite, like, you know, a wild child. I am so middle-aged. I'm so sorry. Um, 
and then like I kind of calmed down a bit and then pandemics happened and now like we're you know like I suppose coming to the end of like the lockdowns in the UK and stuff I'm like so fucking ready for it I feel like I'm 19 again and I'm not I'm nearly 30 and that's why I had to spend Sunday wanting to die because I was so hungover so I have to remember that but then it's hard when you're having fun to remember that you might feel like shit the next day I feel like I'm almost the opposite I was like social I'm excited about social plans and things that are happening but also the moment a single plan gets cancelled I'm like oh thank fuck oh thank god I can just sit in my pants and play video games (laughs) that's so much more my speed right now which is to be fair exactly how I felt pre-pandemic anyway so it's interesting and like I suppose to, to get like a little bit real it's 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 interesting coming out of the pandemic and trying to be like I was before like I have always suffered with anxiety and stuff but like not to the point where it would impact me being in a social space like I am quite like I I I got to the point where my social anxiety I was able to mask it by just pretending to be confident but like that has slipped now and like I've had a couple of instances where I've been out like at the pub or whatever where I'm like this is horrible and like I'm so anxious and I'm gonna have a panic attack and that's the first time that's ever happened to me and I am going through other shit in my life as well but it's definitely a massive byproduct of the pandemic and I bet there's so many other people that are like that as well Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing is like whilst it's like very exciting to get back on things and do other stuff like it is really important to keep your batteries charged because I think we've all got post-pandemic phone batteries of like your phone battery is doing better than ever because you can always charge it, but your social battery is like an old phone where it used to, one charge would last you right through to the end of the day and now you're having to charge it at lunchtime. Like That's me with my social batteries. Like I'm, ha- I'm having to recharge so much more frequently. Yeah, no, I get that. It's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's a different, a different world now. Everything is different. It is. Anyway, I'm just going to stop like coming out these fucking cliches like that middle-aged <laughs> bitch that I am unprecedented times <laughs> <laughs> unprecedented podcast we've never done a mailbag before that was a segue nice <laughs> love it love it this is the last episode before we go on a little break before we recharge our batteries recharge our uh, batteries <laughs> and tackle the amber spyglass um so we are going to be gone Uh, for a little bit and we're going to come back on the 6th of september so we're taking a little summer break summer holidays summer holidays holidays, school holidays (laughs) but we will still be doing some stuff on patreon so we've got a bunch of like content that we filmed and made ages ago that we just haven't got around to doing so hopefully the break will let us do that uh we're still going to be doing the watch alongs with our patrons all that kind of good stuff and then we're going to like fling whatever stuff that we can find in the in the in the vast folders of uh, her dot materials just onto the patreon like whatever we can find that we think might be of interest but yeah so if you want to join us on patreon during the break it is patreon.com forward slash hdm pod yeah come join the family of dusty dusty people (laughs) (laughs) that makes us sound like we haven't showered (laughs) (laughs) and also very (laughs) middle-aged god damn it just so dusty I wouldn't be surprised if I am actually dusty today because I've been hanging around in the shed and I get very paranoid that I'll come inside and find that I've got spiders in my hair. Oh God, that would... mm. horrendous. <laughs> no, you definitely you. couldn't hack it in the shed. There's a lot of spiders. I have to like 
water off a duck's back I just have to kind of like accept that they're there I was like sweeping earlier and a bloody massive spider crawled away and I was like it's fine this is your house I'm only in here occasionally just please don't come near me (laughs) and we're all good no 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 (laughs) absolutely not cannot have that I'm sorry I walked into my bedroom the other night and a spider that was big for me but not probably not big for you being in the shed was on the wall and I was like Zach please come and get this spider if I'm on my own I tend to be quite good at not freaking out about (laughs) I just kind of like I'm like okay it's only me here I have to deal with it myself and I have to either accept this spider is there or I have to get rid of it myself (laughs) horrendous let's not talk about spiders (laughs) okay (laughs) let's talk about emails instead yay let's do that We are going to go through, we, we actually, so we kept encouraging you all to send in your emails and we still do encourage that because we bloody love an email and we will always bloody love an email. But when I was going through and putting this document together, I actually forgot just how many emails we'd, we'd had. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, we can definitely get them all in one episode. Uh, we absolutely cannot get them all in one episode. We've gone through, like, thank you so much to everyone that's emailed us. Like we've gone through and like picked uh ones that we think are relevant and um we've also like moved some ones that are maybe a little bit spoilery or that we didn't have the time to delve into properly uh we are going to do other mailbags um so we'll we've saved them for that time so yeah feel free to continue sending us emails and also there's some that we've already discussed within episodes so we've left those ones out and just to say that most of these emails start with really lovely comments about the podcast so thank you yeah you make us blush but we're not absolute egotistical people that are going to read out all of our compliments on the podcast because it just feels weird so we've kind of we're going to skip those bits and get to the the meaty parts of the emails (laughs) yes exactly exactly and like some of you some of you sent us a wonderful really long emails which we really enjoyed reading and we've kind of like you'll see we've kind of like picked the bits to read out um because you know we've only got a little, we've only got a certain amount of time before this episode becomes like three hours long and it's, it's just us reading every single email <laughs> we've ever gotten and I don't think that would be it'd be very interesting to us but I don't know if it'd be super interesting to all of you people listening so <laughs> yes we've got to put on our best dynamic reading voices because sometimes me reading out text from a screen can sound like a robot version of me (laughs) you are so much better at it than i am you at least have some kind of personality i actually do sound like a robot when i read stuff out (laughs) shall we shall we start shall i read the first one Mm -hmm, yes because i just put a jaffa cake in my mouth okay okay (laughs) just to give you an insight into my uh brain i've sorted it into uh categories so the first one is like miscellaneous and then we've got northern lights and then the soul knife so let's delve into the first one so this one is from Imogen. Hi, Imogen. Imogen's Hi, emailed Imogen. us a bunch of times before and we're always excited to hear from Imogen. So Imogen said, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but I started listening to this podcast over a year ago when the first season of the TV show had just come out. I've loved every episode and I really value it for everything you discuss. But this email is because in the podcast, you kept talking about your love for Buffy and for Buffer and the Vampire Slayer. I'd been thinking for years that Buffy seems like the kind of show I'd like, but I never got around to watching it. 
Listening to you talk about it made me think it might be worth giving it a go. And last November, I started watching it. I instantly fell in love. Yes, it's imperfect in a lot of ways. And yes, it shows its age. But right from the word go, even though some people seem to think the first season is a bit shit, I absolutely loved it. And I just wanted to thank you for giving me the push to start watching it. I've been listening along to Buffering as I've been watching which needless to say has massively enhanced the whole experience and really helped me look at things through a nuanced lens. Anyway, the reason I've decided to thank you now is because I just watched One Small With Feeling for the very first time. <laughs> Words can't express how blown away I was by that episode. I've grown up on classic movie musicals and I can't even put into words how perfectly they captured the spirit of a genre that I love. Okay, trying to bring this back to HDM and make it relevant. Here we go. What demons do you think characters in Buffy would have? I haven't got a clue, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. So this is very interesting. And when we got this email, I immediately messaged Rach and I was like, we've got one of the best emails we've ever had. The fact that we could introduce someone (laughs) to Buffy and Buffering is incredible. Yes. The other thing that I wanted to say about this is the question that has been asked of us as in what would you uh, what demons do you think the characters of Buffy would have is a question that I asked Kristen and Jenny of Buffer and the Vampire Slayer on Everything one of is full circle <laughs> yeah. yeah the book club and the mailbag have come together <laughs> yeah yeah on one of their uh, Patreon uh, Q&A sessions that they did I asked them this very question I can't say I remember what they said I feel like I distinctly remember that they chose, and I would agree with this, they were like some kind of goofy bird for Xander, and I feel like they went for a toucan, and I can really see that. Mm. I Oh, actually, I think they chose a, a mountain lion for Buffy. Which makes so much sense, right? Yeah. And also because of that episode, is doesn't a mountain lion or a guide her to the place where she meets the first slayer slayer, yeah yeah. what do you think for the other people i actually find it quite tough picking demons for people i feel like willow is potentially like a robin maybe because similar vibes to what simone kirby was saying in our interview with her about her having a robin demon of like they're very sweet they're very sweet but then they're also very territorial and fierce in a way that you don't expect for something that looks so cute and i'm like that's very willow like very loyal, quite territorial, unexpectedly mean sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also Ginge. <laughs> I don't know whether this I got this from when I when I asked Kristen and Jenny and I'm just like repeating it from my brain. But I feel like Spike would be like a house cat. Oh yeah. He's like, don't touch me, but also please love me. <laughs> and also like probably falling off the sofa sideways and then trying to style it out and still pretend like you're a a fierce predator while you're actually just really goofy uh what about giles i mean i feel like i'm just doing a lot of birds at the moment but an owl an owl wise oh do you know what that makes me think of so in animal crossing there is an owl that runs a museum called blathers and there's been so much like uh, fan art that's like comparing giles and blathers because they are very similar so yeah that's a good shout Nice. <laughs> Specifically that owl for child. Blathers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what about Faith? Ooh. Faith. Faith. I feel like maybe like a like a panther or like a jaguar Ooh. or something. Nice, yeah. I was potentially gonna say a wolf. Ooh, wolf's a good one as well, yeah. I feel like Panther or Jaguar would be good just because it kind of mirrors Buffy's mountain lion a little bit. Like oh, the dark, yeah. the darker mm-hmm. version of of uh, 
of Buffy's Mountain Lion. That's nice. Mm. <laughs> uh, obviously, Riley would be a golden retriever. Of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, Angel would have... I think maybe Angel would have the wolf, actually, because it's so melodramatic. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. He would have, like, the wolf demon and then, and ironically, wear the Three Wolf Moon t-shirt or something. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, who else is what about Anya it's quite a difficult one I think Mm. maybe like a gopher or a groundhog or something (laughs) just really like small but that has like a lot of confidence that you can imagine sitting on the cash register oh (laughs) yeah are we missing what about Tara oh I don't know (laughs) Tara's a difficult one would she have a reptile because she's quite hard to read sometimes yeah i was gonna say like i don't want to be too on the nose with it but maybe like a mouse or something like that yeah or a sugar glider because it's like Uh, a mouse but a bit more uh, yeah yeah a bit fancy (laughs) that would be cute nice yeah are we missing anyone i don't think so unless you want to pick a demon for drusilla (laughs) oh wow fucking hell i feel like drew would just be one of her dolls oh creepy i was gonna say maybe like a black widow spider oh jesus yeah (laughs) yeah fair but i would never want to go near it or her or some kind of beautiful bird like a nightingale or something yeah something yeah something that's like really beautiful but will absolutely fuck you up Mm. maybe a bird of prey potentially that was a great topic yes. to get into and yes. i could discuss demons of my favorite tv show characters all day every day so if anyone wants to suggest a tv show that they think we've seen that we could choose a demon for we'll just have this conversation every day yes 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 please thank you so much imogen we fucking love that email if you disagree with any of our demon choices for the buffy characters tweet to us we will get into debates with you and we'll choose together yes absolutely Okay, Rich, would you like to read this next email? I will. This email is from Sarah. Thank you so much, Thanks, Sarah. Sarah. This is a fucking great email, by the way. This is great. This was prompted by our chat pre-episode a few episodes ago, and I'll just launch into it. I'm a researcher who studies organ transplantation. In your episode on blood moss, one of you joked that you wish you could give your uterus to someone who wants one. Well, guess what? It's actually possible. Uterine transplantation is a new but rapidly growing therapy for absolute uterine factor infertility. That is, a person is unable to get pregnant due to an absent or non-functional uterus. Most uterine transplants occur from a living donor, although the donor surgery is quite risky, about 1 in 10 experience complications. Most donors are related to the recipient, although um, usually mothers donating to daughters or sisters, etc. But several have been non-directed, which means anonymous donations. Risks are also quite high for the recipient and immunosuppression stuff can cause a myriad of complications. So uterine transplants are currently only temporary. It is removed after a successful pregnancy. So if you want a ditchy womb, you can give it to someone. <laughs> this is like, again, probably one of my favorite emails we've ever had. I love this so much. I hope that it's um, something that becomes more, I hope the research carries on with it and that it's something that becomes more doable in the future. It's amazing. Mm, I love, 
when you just say something off the cuff and then you're like someone's like actually that's true because medicine is fantastic and you're like wow I was just delighted to find out that's a thing and I love when people give me medical information and stuff yeah me too um Sarah also attached to that email like a couple of studies I think I haven't read the very long I haven't read them yet but I definitely plan to if anyone else is interested in that we can let us know we can forward you the studies that she's cited absolutely but yeah thank you Sarah that was a really really great one okay moving on so these ones are about northern lights are you ready I am ready oh god this one's got loads of pronunciation that I'm not going to be able to do but I'll try my best so this one is from Hessel Hi, Hessel. Hi, Hessel. We hope we're saying your name right. <laughs> yes, we, we do. I'm currently at the episode where you discuss chapter seven, and you were discussing some things about Egyptians and their culture, which has Dutch influences. As a Dutchman, I find these connections very amusing. You said a buying roping is a made-up word, meaning the boats were roped together, but it actually sounds a lot like the Dutch word Bijin roping, which, sorry about my pronunciation, by the way, which means a call to come together. Furthermore, it takes place in the Zaal, which is a Dutch word meaning hall at the Bayernplatz, which comes from Platz, which means place. I remember you trying to figure out what Brantwein, I still can't say that fucking word. (laughs) Brantwein. It is in one of the earlier episodes. Brantwein is possibly a variant on brandy. The word brandy is a corruption of the Dutch brandwein, which means burned wine. And then they mentioned that Corum's last name, Van Texel, refers to one of the islands in the Dutch parts in the Wadden Sea. And I just thought that was really interesting. It's so interesting. I think this is what happens when Phil pulls words from places and then changes the spelling so they become ungoogleable. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we obviously went as to our very researchy extents of just Googling the word buying roping and went, oh, nothing comes up. It must be made up. And actually... It's just some clever linguist, like deriving from clever linguistics of pulling from Dutch, which is great. And yeah, I suspect that's exactly where Phil got it from because it makes a lot of sense. And I love that, that it means a call to come together. That's like, it's beautiful. Yeah. And like, yes, I love it. I love the origin of words and where they come from and if anybody else has any information like that or just wants to laugh at our pronunciation or tell us that we're wrong about that kind of stuff please do because we know next to nothing about it and it's always great to hear from people that actually do know what words mean Mm -hmm. yeah definitely they also go on to talk about a lot of the differences between the dutch and the english translations and how that um adapts across how the language has been adapted for the different translations but that's much harder for us to read out but equally interesting so thank you for sending it in (laughs) yes thank you so much okay Rachel you ready yes this email is from Sarah who is from America hello Sarah I hope it's Sarah and not Sarah I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong (laughs) Sarah 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 says In my headcanon, I think Lyra's world is happening at the same time as ours, and it's seemingly less technologically advanced because of demons. Lyra says her world has cars, just less of them, and they do have air travel via a zeppelin, which I don't think we really had air travel until the early 1900s. I'd also imagine that demons would change people's transportation preferences and the traffic patterns as well. 
Also, I assume that fridges do exist in Lara's world and she just hasn't seen one since food has always been prepared for her because she's posh. I don't know how my demon theory plays into them not having technology like phones in movies, but maybe it's like in Harry Potter, drink, where you can't have too much electricity around or the magic short circuits. Also... I'm by no means an Asriel apologist, but I had a few thoughts about him. Not that it excuses his abuse, but overall the world seems to be a bit crueler than ours. And that society is more okay with physical punishments and social caste systems. In the last chapters of the Northern Lights, I actually appreciated Lyra's conversation with Asriel, although I agree it also would have been badass for her to just walk out. But I grew up with an emotionally abusive parent who would try to manipulate back, for lack of a better term, like Lyra did when she brought up Lee Scoresby to try and get a reaction out of Asriel in some way. Obviously not healthy, and I've since been to therapy. Yay, therapy! Yay! Hopefully Lyra can get some too. Yes, please, Lyra does need that. But I did just appreciate how realistic that conversation was between a child desperate for the attention of a, of a manipulative adult was. So they're like first point of this email with like demons um would uh, they think that the world is maybe less technologically advanced because of demons is so interesting and i'd not really thought of that before and and that demons would change people's transportation preferences and traffic patterns etc that's like yeah that uh, that makes total sense to me yeah i don't know like i enjoy <laughs> i enjoy the that they uh, mentioned the um like in Harry Potter, it could, just because, just magic short, short circuits when electricity's on, just because. And I can see that being like a, because demons, just because. <laughs> Which I enjoy. I really love the idea that, yes, they probably would have had fridges in Lyra's world, but she was too fancy to have seen one because whilst her best friend worked in the kitchen, I doubt she actually spent that much time in there working out how the kitchen worked. And also, Ox, like Jordan might be the kind of place that, has like a big old walk-in freezer that looks different because it's like a massive catering facility as opposed to like a regular household fridge mm. situation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Can you imagine being too fancy to ever have seen a fridge? Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, not knowing how to like turn on a hob because you've never had to cook before. Just like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the second part about Azrael, and thank you for sharing this, uh, Sarah. Sarah says, but I did just appreciate how realistic that conversation between a child desperate for the attention of a mani manipulative adult was. Definitely. Like, absolutely. The fact that she, like, brings up Lee Scoresby to be like, this is a fucking real dad. Do you see this? This is a real dad, unlike you. And, like, yeah, of course. Like, she absolutely wanted to get a rise out of him. Mm -hmm. But then also engaging in the conversation with him because it's one of the first times he's engaged in a conversation with her and she wants to keep up that engagement <laughs> yes absolutely and also I do kind of I do agree as well that uh it does seem that Lyra's world is a bit crueler I can't remember if we brought that up before it feels familiar when I say it but I feel like it definitely is not again, like Sarah says as well, not being an, of course, I'm not being a fucking Asriel apologist. Could I ever be an Asriel <laughs> apologist? No. But like, it does feel like it is a bit of a, a crueler, um, I suppose like less advanced world in that sense. It strikes me as I imagine at the schools in Lyra's world, they would still wrap you across the knuckles with a ruler if you'd done something wrong, which obviously corporal punishment doesn't fly these days in schools but up until what like the early 90s it was still happening in loads of schools which makes a lot of sense as to why phil wouldn't 
necessarily blink at the idea of an adult reprimanding a child in that way when he's writing this book in the early 90s or the mid 90s especially if he's imagining a world that feels slightly old more old-fashioned than ours not that it excuses any of it because it was horrible when they did it in in schools and just any kind of physical punishment is deplorable kind of like pretty much but we've come we've come a long way <laughs> so it'd be nice if Phil had written the book without feeling the need to have Azriel be both physically and emotionally abusive <laughs> yeah pick one Phil you know <laughs> <The> double whammy <laughs> we don't need both <laughs> but it does it makes perfect sense and yeah it seems like a harsher world and more there seems to be more like old school battles and fighting if that makes sense mm, yeah in the way that we witness Bolvanger and the way that that fight occurs it's not as clinical as perhaps you'd imagine battles or warfare today very true very true partly because of the technology but that also just makes it seem more brutal it's when you're reading those passages it's more like reading a passage of like lord of the rings level fighting but maybe a bit not as old-fashioned <laughs> but yeah the brutality somewhere in the, somewhere in the middle there yeah somewhere yeah. in between lord of the rings and drones <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely okay this next email is from may hi may hi uh, and melissa also emailed us about this same topic so this is interesting so may says you know how when lyra comes to asriel's lab He's like, I did not send for you. And then when Thorold tells Serafina that Asriel has a way of getting things that he just has to ask for them, something like that. Well, it sounds like what Joppery does with Lee, calling him through his mother's ring. I'm not sure how the shaman uh, magic thingy works, but it seems to make the person come to one's presence no matter how far away they are. Maybe Asriel was doing that, but because he didn't have a personal object, he couldn't call for someone in specific. Or maybe because he's Lyra's dad, he was somehow calling for her, even if it wasn't on purpose. It kind of makes sense, because both Lee and Lyra had to travel a lot. They started their journey not really knowing where to go or how to get there, only who they were looking for, and they were both welcomed by someone who claimed to have not called them. This is fucking really interesting, and not something that I thought about uh, until we got these emails. Yeah, and, and, and like now we know as well that like Asriel, uh, from like reading the Lantern Slides and in our wrap-up episode, that Asriel and Joppery met. Yeah. Do you think that Asriel had some kind of ability to actually call Lyra? See, this is the thing is, part of you is going, is it something special about those people calling something to them? Or is it the grand scheme of things playing out and higher forces at work pulling the fa the strings of fate because both are really great theories and drawing this line between Asriel and Joppery is really interesting especially with the idea that Joppery called to a specific person because he had an object to call them with and Asriel just wanted a wanted a child and be the only he didn't have anything to call with so the universe used him as the thing to call with and what is a child that's got part of him in it is Lyra and him being like I didn't call for you and the universe being like well you didn't give us much to work with <laughs> and thankfully Roger's there <laughs> oh well not thankfully just <laughs> I think it's a really interesting point just me personally because I fucking hate Asriel I do not want him to have any like shamany abilities you don't get to have special powers <laughs> 
I feel like he's also, I don't know if I'm going to articulate this very well, but I feel like he's also written in a way that just doesn't, he doesn't seem to lend himself to that like magical aspect of things. Like obviously a lot of things that happen in the books are very magical, but like, and like, yeah, he's in this like fucking fortress with like loads of different creatures and stuff. But in his core, he seems a very like pragmatic logical person that like maybe wouldn't rely or wouldn't dabble in like magic and shamany stuff he comes has very much a vibe of like man of science but then also this is the thing man of science but waging a war against god (laughs) (laughs) it's somebody with very logical roots and very scientific roots but tackling a fantastical issue right so it's like maybe he's waging war against the authority because he knows they exist because he's done an experiment that proves their existence or and it's like he's kind of fighting on the side of freedom and imagination and magic but at the same time he's not because he's a very science-oriented person that doesn't magic seems frivolous right to him or you get the impression it would (laughs) um so it's really it's a really he's a really weird champion for this specific cause yes Yes. Towards the end of that email, they also mention that Mrs. Coulter potentially has some kind of spark of that magicalness within her with how she controls the spectres and potentially gets further away. The the one mention we get of her and the monkey being quite far away from each other and that metallic smell of like, some there's something potentially a little bit magical or a little bit extra about both of Lyra's parents which makes Lyra extra special. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that with Miss Coulter. I think I said that in one of the first chapters of Northern Lights where it said that the children were drawn to her for, for a reason that they couldn't explain and like the way it was worded made it sound like she had some kind of magical ability, whether she was aware of it or not. I definitely think that for her. I'm just not sure I think it for Azrael. I might think it, I just don't want it for him because he doesn't deserve to be special. <laughs> everyone's special (laughs) Uh, yeah oh god oh my god i'm so excited to read this next one this is from eleanor thank you so much for this email i would like to entitle this email scholar drama (laughs) i was mind blown when i read this because whilst whilst you did mention eleanor that you weren't sure if we'd already mentioned it in the episode we definitely hadn't because you put these twos together for us to make the four that you have found (laughs) and i will read it i had a thought during the episode about chapter 19 captivity in this chapter we meet the imprisoned professor santelia who has a vendetta against professor trelawney at jordan side note harry potter parallel amuse me too yes we love it drink yes 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 Due to Trelawney supposedly trashing his reputation and causing him to be imprisoned by Yoffa. I have a theory that Santelia is the man who featured in Lord Asriel's photograms at the start of the book, the one pictured where he's waving at the dust particles and there's the dust particles around his hand. For a start, the professor has a serpent demon, and the man in the photo is said to have his demon around his neck in the form of a snake. But he's far from the first character to have this. Both Boreal and Dr. Lanzalius also had serpents slash snake demons, which is why I thought maybe it was Boreal in the picture at that one point. I now fully retract that. (laughs) (laughs) However, in the professor's interaction with Lyra, he says the following. Who was it who discovered the final proof of the Barnard Stokes hypothesis? Eh? Yes? Eh? It was me? (laughs) Yes, Santelia! (laughs) That's who! 
We already know that the Barnard-Stokes hypothesis refers to the theory of multiple worlds. So, this final proof he talks about could be the photogram of the city in the sky, shown by Asriel and taken in the company of the man with the snake demon. In addition, we first hear him talk hear the term Barnard Stokes after Lord Asriel shows the picture of the city in the sky as it is mentioned by one of the scholars but not just by any scholar by the Palmyrian professor aka Professor Trelawney. Not only that Trelawney goes on to provide all the information about Yoffa wanting to set up a university for the bears which Santelia later says he was supposed to be vice chancellor of before his imprisonment and the way he'd do anything to get a demon which becomes hugely relevant for Lyra's plan on Svalbard. Anyway, I'm probably not the first person to notice this, and sorry if I've already brought it up. We haven't. <laughs> I just only thought of it while listening to your podcast, and I couldn't believe I'd never noticed throughout my many readings of the books just how interconnected it all is. It kind of blew my mind, and the more I think about it, the more I feel convinced that Santelia is the man from the picture. We agree. Not only is your mind blown, our mind was blown by this email. Yeah. Yes. Scholar yeah. drama. <laughs> yeah. I am fully convinced. I don't need any more evidence. Do you know? I'm like, yes. And like, do you know what? It's so interesting. Like, because, right. So there are so many things in books and popular culture. And again, I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up Bo Burnham because there's a lot of stuff that people are dissecting Bo Burnham's work on the new special inside but also on his older specials and a lot of people are saying like oh I love how he did this I love how he did that blah 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 and we don't know for inside because he hasn't publicly commented on it but on the older specials there's a lot of people saying like oh I love how deep this moment was or I love how this moment connected to this moment and this moment connected to this moment and he's like gone on record saying like I no that's not a thing like I didn't know that I did that I didn't realize that that happened I didn't like that's not what I intended and like he always says that kind of like fail in the sense of like once it's out there it's like a democracy so you can make your own connections between things and like I feel like this is similar to that in the sense that like I wonder whether like Phil did it on purpose or whether it's a coincidence or whether it was planned from the start because I think it could be either I think it does weigh itself more to be in Phil kind of knew what he was doing because there's a lot of like interconnected points here but it definitely like I missed it I didn't fucking see that do you know what I mean so it could definitely be like uh, a nice like fan theory that hasn't been confirmed or it could be that Phil planned it all along it could so be that Phil planned it and it was like more explicit but extraneous paragraphs got removed in editing and he was like well if you read it hard enough you'll make the connection or something maybe phil wrote it and thought it was really obvious but actually it's not and it takes this kind of read through to get it or it's just eleanor being incredibly observant i just yeah i think it's a great theory i think it makes a lot a lot of sense and i love it as like just some little side drama going down (laughs) and actually we were talking about how the imprisoned professor who we compare to Jafar when he's in the prison trying to trick Aladdin how he didn't get the memo that this book is about Lyra and it's because he is part of this massive drama all on his own where he like was Lord Asriel's lab partner that got imprisoned and Asriel's just ditched him (laughs) somehow and he actually made this discovery but has been completely overlooked and imprisoned it's like yeah you are at the center of your own drama (laughs) And it makes so much more sense because like when we were reading that chapter, we were saying like, 
oh this guy like what is the point of him being here like yeah he's like he's there for like a little like fucking exposition man really and it's like oh I feel like Phil could have done it in a cleverer way but like now I'm reading this I'm like actually it was a pretty clever way to do it yeah (laughs) too clever for me (laughs) but yeah thank you Eleanor that was bloody great so great thank you (laughs) so this one uh is from Maggie from Ireland hi Maggie Hello. Maggie says, my whole family are big HDM fans and my parents named their new puppy Scoresby. He is gorgeous and a total scoundrel. We would like to see pictures. <laughs> Rich, there is a picture. They did send a picture. Oh, I, just, I just didn't put it in this document, but you can go and look in the, the inbox for a picture. That was your mistake. You should have put it in the document. <laughs> I, I copied and pasted and the picture did not come through. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Magisterium feels very close to reality these days for us in Ireland. Recently, a report was, was released on the mother and baby homes, which was where fallen women, in inverted commas, were sent when they became pregnant out of wedlock right into the 90s. Uh, and in brackets, when I was born to my unwed mother. Our government is still covering it up, blaming society in general, and is hand in hand with the Catholic Church. Anyway, I wish that the magisterium was more fantasy than reality. On a lighter note... I've started reading Barack Obama's most recent book and he describes himself as being like a platypus because he's from everywhere and made up of lots of different parts and I thought you would love the image of Obama with a platypus demon. We do. We do. I <laughs> fucking love... What, what's the plural? Pl- platypi? Platypuses? <laughs> I don't know. I fucking love them. Like, they're so great. And also, like, they're kind of like... Do they, like, live near water? Do they have water? Shit. Yeah, I th- well, technically they're marsupials, I think, because they have a pouch like kangaroos. Oh. But then also I think they're like semi-aquatic, like a waterfall where like they can swim, but they don't live there. <laughs> oh my God, what if I changed my demon from a duck to a platypus? That would be, I would be on board with that. <laughs> they're very cute. I have, I've definitely uh, watched a video of like a platypus like in a zoo, I think, or somewhere, but like eating off of someone's hand, and they do the thing where they like, like, j- just like ducks do, where they like mash things and like dunk them in the water to oh. make them softer. It's just the cutest thing watching a platypus like slap his little bill against the water. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um. To the first part of this email. Oh, f- fuck. You know. Yeah. So I already knew a little bit about this because i can highly recommend the episode of red-handed podcast which covers this if you look up tomb mother and baby home they have two episodes that cover it one when the initial stuff was uncovered they did a little story they kind of cover most of the facts of it and then another after the report was released where they also have a chat to somebody that has recently written a book about it very worth listening to if you are keen to hear more about that and kind of learn about the atrocities committed in the name of just sweeping some women under the rug because it's just inconvenient you know when women get pregnant and try to have lives uh it's atrocious it's yeah it's just super atrocious it's the catholic church and the irish government being reprehensible and yeah it's very magisteriumy and rings so hard of what mrs coulter probably avoided being put into when she got pregnant only because of her social class because i think that is the only thing that saved her from a situation like this because i can 100 percent see it being a magisterium thing in lyra's world yeah absolutely and like the thing is when you read when we read these novels 
sometimes, and this is, I'm saying this from an absolute place of privilege, sometimes you forget that this kind of shit still happens in the world. And when I read this email, I was, I was fucking livid. Yeah. It's in some ways similar to uh, the recent stories in Canada about the reservation schools. I think that, think that was the names of them, but so many um, things being discovered about atrocities committed by the Canadian government in the name of colonialism and just absolutely horrifying and just keeps happening of just like essentially finding mass graves in institutions that were supposed to be created to look after or house women and children um, in Canada, particularly children. And in this one, it was women and children in, in the Irish mother and baby homes. And it's just like the government and the church hand in hand with white colonialism and the patriarchy and oppressing women, children <sighs> and minorities. <sighs> it's heart, It's heartbreaking. It really is. And this is why we all need to look very closely at what our governments are doing to minorities at all times because pretty much always you're going to see people being oppressed and you've got to fight it. Fuck the magisterium, big time. <laughs> Be more Lyra, you know? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on to some emails about this little knife. Do you want to take this one away, Rich? Yes, this one is from Leanne. Thank you very much for getting in contact, Leanne. Thank you, Leanne. I think The Subtle Knife is my favourite because it introduces us to Will. I know that most girls identify with Lyra, but Will really resonated with me. Lyra came from a completely different world and Pan was always with her as a constant companion, whereas Will was from our world, so instantly more familiar, and because of the situation with his mum, he felt really alone. At the time I was first reading the books, I felt really isolated. I'd never really had a close friend. At school, my friends were best friends with each other and had known each other for five years before they met me, and I almost felt like a third wheel in their friendship. I was jealous of the close friendships some of my favourite book characters shared, and I was jealous of my own sister too, who met her best friend at age three and is now godmother to her two children. So Will and the relationship he develops with Lyra really made me feel hopeful that maybe that feeling of isolation wouldn't last forever. Also, in the first The Subtle Knife episode where you were both talking about cats having routines, you reminded me of when I lived with my nan for a few years after I finished university. 23-year-old me did not want to go back to sharing a room in her parents' house with, 20, with my 21-year-old sister. There was a cat who we watched every day walk across our fence and then go and sit on our lilac tree for a few hours. My nana had the tree cut down because it was trying to push the fence over and it blocked quite a lot of light. Watching the cat the next day just try to do his usual routine and get really confused that the tree was no longer there was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He sat looking at where the tree used to be for a full five minutes before walking over to the stump twice and then going back to just look at it. He even came back the next day and walked around the stump as if checking that it was really gone. You're still story made me remember this and made me laugh again so I wanted to share it I love that story <laughs> I love that story too I remember this email coming in and I was like gotta read that out gotta read that out um the part about Will I actually think like hits the nail on the head as to why I feel like I related to Will a lot um I think we've touched on it before it comes from our world and he feels alone and Leanne's point about not really having feeling isolated at school I can relate and my set of books for that were uh, for that point in my life was Harry Potter and I remember always feeling drink and I remember always feeling very 
jealous as well of like the friendships that the characters in harry potter yeah because they meet in like the first week of school like they, they meet on the train before they even get to school and then they're just like best friends throughout school if you think about even at like uni like the people that you've you're like best friends with in like freshers week aren't necessarily the people that you're best friends with or like that you stick with right through to the end of your experience the same for me i hung around with a group of people in my first week at secondary school i don't think i've spoken to in years but the people that i was friends with in my last year of secondary school i still talk to you now it's just such an unusual thing to be like yep they met on the train and they're best friends forever and then they get married <laughs> oh, God. yeah 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 totally so yeah, thank you, Leanne. That was a that was a great email, especially the bit about the cat. <laughs> yeah, it makes you look on Will and Lyra's friendship very differently as well, knowing how much it means to Will. Yes. Okay. Next email is from Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. <laughs> Lindsay said, "Love the pod. Just got into it via your collaborative episode with Girls Gone Canon and the Dark Material podcast. Are we the Secret Commonwealth? That was something that I did." a long time ago and i have no idea i cannot remember a single thing that i said in that so <laughs> it's go and listen to it. it's gone from <laughs> your brain forever yeah <laughs> yeah and then they said and to be quite honest your interview with daphne made me cry i hope in a nice way <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was listening to your latest app and surprised to hear that you couldn't find any criticisms of Pullman's portrayal of Will's mum's mental illness. I'm currently simultaneously listening to yours and the Dark Material podcast reading of The Subtle Knife, and on this topic, Ian points out from personal experience that the portrayal of Will as a kind of this model uh, child carer is a little too perfect, which, however clearly well-intentioned by the author, can be kind of upsetting to readers who have experienced being a child carer, as it may make them feel guilty about not being the perfect carer and the feelings of resentment that are inevitable in such a context. This is something I never considered until Ian brought it up. The topic of Pullman's depiction of mental illness was also critiqued in Demon Cast's episode on this chapter, where they pointed out that while it's important to clarify the fact that Will's mum's fear of, of a perceived enemy was all in her head, doesn't make them any less real. I absolutely adore the passage you quoted here. There is a dialectical caveat to this due to the fact that the men turn out to be very materially real. The question of the extent to which these things were actually in her head or not remains pretty ambiguous, which can be potentially harmful to someone experiencing the same paranoia and further entrench them in it. Then again, it also highlights the ambiguity inherent in situations such as these. As someone who is no stranger to mental disorders, I agree and appreciate all of these takes equally. This is interesting. So I think, um, and please everybody forgive me, you know our memories are terrible uh, I can't remember exactly what we said in that episode but on the point that Ian made in the Dark Material podcast episodes around uh, being a child carer I don't I, I can't comment on that because I never had that experience and I don't think that we said I don't think we mentioned that in the episode itself I'm not sure if I recall correctly in the episode we just mentioned that it was a very but Phil was doing a very hard sell to us to be like, first chapter of a new book, it's not Lyra, we have to win you over to Will very quickly. So the first things we're going to tell you about how fiercely loyal and protective he is of his mother and the caring role that he takes, which I think we commented on a bit. But I would also potentially argue that Will isn't a perfect carer in the sense that we've pointed out in the past and he has since referred to uh, getting in fights and having like violent tendencies and not having this like social life etc which I think is not showing 
his caring situation as being this like perfect situation it's not showing him as such being this like perfect model child because he is getting in trouble he is doing whatever at school so I wouldn't necessarily say he's perfect but I do agree that like potentially over imbuing that with this thing of like this is why he's a great person it's like no Will's got hundreds of qualities that make him a character that we're invested in and it just so happened that Phil used this really pushed hard on this particular aspect of his life in that first chapter I think as a way of endearing us to him yeah yeah I agree I think the point as well around um I really related to or really I suppose was grateful to Phil in a way that he did portray Elaine's mental illness although I do 100% agree with the point of the ambiguity around whether it's in her head or not is not very helpful to people that may experience that as a mental disorder and that links to the spectres and the way we've spoken about whether it's a magical mental disorder or a real world thing yes 100% but I do the thing that I think I will say is that for a book that was written in the 90s by an older man and I don't know what Phil's gone through in his life you know what I mean I can't I can't say that as a, as a person who myself who has uh, continues to deal with anxiety and depression on a daily basis I really appreciated the gentleness and care that Phil took when writing about uh, Will's mum because I do think that back in the 90s the tropes of mental illness were rife uh, he could have painted her as being crazy or insane um, and he doesn't do that and I think that's what I really appreciated it for it and I mean there's always something to be crit- critiqued that nothing is perfect and this email made me think made me rethink about that but I do I do still very much think that I really liked how it was written I thought that there was care taken with it and I, I appreciate that yeah definitely he could have written her in a a Jacqueline Wilson kind of way not to half on Jacqueline Wilson I read a lot of those books as a kid growing up but Me too. a lot of the parents depicted in there it was all about the kid and so the first thing that springs to mind is like the illustrated mum mm, yeah. and how she was depicted to be as being really quite like negligent and flighty and all of this kind of stuff and like the kid was just trying to get on with their life and obviously it's portrayed from I can't remember the, is it Dolphin the main I think character? So. Yeah, I think it's so. portrayed from her point of view but her mum's what essentially we find out is um, struggles with mental health is depicted in such a weird way that like demonizes her in a lot of ways. And like, that's not what we get. Elaine isn't ever demonized. And I really like that in this book is that we're not seeing that demonized depiction of her mental health. And it is just she, when she is having a good period, she's a great mom. And when she's having a bad period, she needs some help. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you for that email, Lindsay. It definitely did make me have a have a think, at least. Yes. Our next email is from Melissa. Thank you, Melissa, from America. Yeah, thank you, Melissa. Melissa sent us so many great emails um, that this one is kind of just a snippet of the bits that we wanted to pull out for this, uh, this mailbag. Yes. I'm just going to launch straight into it. Okay. Are there any characters that you headcanon as queer? Personally, one of my hobbies is taking characters I like, especially ones that are cool or badass, and headcanoning them as asexual and aromantic, which is what I am. Since there are lots of types of attraction other than sexual and romantic attraction, and lots of reasons people love each other, I'm always looking for ways to undermine 
romance and sex as the default or normative types of attraction in stories, just to make the stories more interesting. Yes. Anyway, I had canon Lee Scoresby as asexual and aromantic, but sex favourable given Once Upon a Time in the North, which you should read if you haven't yet. It's a fun story. And we also learn a really interesting thing about demons at the end. We haven't read it yet, but we will. (laughs) We're going to read it after we finish the trilogy and then we're going to do the little mini books. I like your take on why Mrs. Coulter does what she does. I think that it's true that she wants power by any means and that she runs the ablation board because no one else wants to. So it gives her a way to gain power. When you said that, it reminded me of real life villain Phyllis Shafley. You might not know about her unless you're into American politics. A depressing amount of Americans don't know about her either. But basically, she started a big right wing political movement in order to gain power. What she really wanted was to set nuclear weapons policy, which would have also been really terrible. But no one would let her because she was a woman. So she looked for other ways to gain influence and ended up creating a movement that would get a lot of women behind her so that she'd have the power to get politicians out of office if they pissed her off. And this scared them enough to let her have some power. She didn't actually care about all the causes her followers cared about. She just wanted the power. They ended up killing the Equal Rights Amendment, which just says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Oh, the horrors. And... They were also anti-abortion and did all sorts of terrible things. If you want an interesting but depressing miniseries about this, check out Mrs. America on Hulu. Real life scary Mrs. Coulter. Um, That sounds like the worst person. I'd never heard of her before and that honestly scared me. I was like, no, 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 we do not need this in real life, please, for the love of God. No, absolutely not. Just terrifying. Thank you. I mean, if I want to be... Um, horrified by the state of the world, maybe I will watch that documentary. But ugh. on queering characters where you can, yes, 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 we love a queer had canon. And I am very excited to read Once Upon a Time in the North based on your uh, email. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, obviously, we're here for queering characters because the master and the librarian are a couple, and we know that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think as well, just as Melissa says, and that they enjoy headcanoning them as asexual and aromantic because that's how they identify. I'm still the same. Like, I just want everyone to be queer. Everyone is pan now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that obviously we've been pretty vocal about queering characters like the witches, definitely queer. Mm-hmm. Lee Scoresby, room for women under 300, meaning he can only date under 300 year olds who are men. <laughs> Absolutely. And me, obviously, he would make an exception for me. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think who else. I, I mean, I just want everyone to be to be queer. So, like, I don't know. I, I would have thought that if Fada Coram's relationship with Serafina wasn't so, like, specified within the books, that he might be a good candidate for being asexual. He could be demisexual. He, it could just be that it takes a very, very special person with a long, with a bo- with a particular bond for him to feel that way. That eventually resulted in them being in a position whereby they could have a son. <laughs> yeah, I think that suits him quite well. And I can see him being like only falling for people who he like really knows very well and like has that bond with. I can see that being a thing because he seems like he like trusts and loves hard, but rarely. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think. Interestingly, and I don't know if this is just because they were they were very aesthetically pleasing to me in the TV series, but I feel like 
Lee and Joffrey, we definitely shipped them hard in the TV show, but not as hard in the books. No. I think that's just because I wasn't bothered about Joffrey in the books because he wasn't hot priest in my head in the books. Because he wasn't Andrew Scott. (laughs) I go back into the thing of just wanting everyone to be queer. So I'm like trying to think now whether there was anyone that actually really stood out to me as being... I could definitely read Yorick as ace because he is so driven with like other other things and also he's not messing with any of those she bears and that weird bear patriarchy that was in place with the offer and i feel like he's just like perhaps sees everybody else as like comrades in arms more than as potential love interests mm. mm-hmm. also i do think I, I can't remember if you've mentioned this before but i do think that mrs coulter would use her powers of seduction with i don't think gender would matter to her similar to do you know like how she did with boreal when she poisoned him if she needed to do that with a woman, I don't think it would phase her. I think the only thing that would hold her back from that would be in whatever the reaction to that would be in the whatever world she was in, if that makes sense. Like, I can see her manipulating somebody in our world with that more than perhaps in Lyra's world, but then we don't have any clear indications of how homophobic Lyra's world is, but you guess from the corporal punishment aspects of it and how far they are behind with the way they treat children that they're probably not super great with the gays. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, I completely agree, but I do think that just on on a level, if that kind of thing... Oh, she's it's not about gender, it's about power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Also, I could definitely see Coulter being aromantic, potentially, as in, like, she's not interested in the romance and the partnership of, of it. It's I could see her only being in whatever relationship she's in for, the, the power and whatever enjoyment she can derive. Yeah, it feels like it would be more, like, transactional in a way. Mm. Basically, everyone in these books is as gay as you want them to be. All right, opposite. Is there anyone that like you think would is just straight? Azrael. <laughs> Do I need to say it? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Fuck. Azrael gives off really strong no homo vibes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you are so fucking. <laughs> Maybe that's right. why I don't like him. <laughs> straight white man. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yes. Well done. <laughs> oh that tickled me i agreed 100 percent. i don't think there's anyone else in there that would like because this is the thing i'll say like oh maybe mark hoster because she bring gives off but no mark hoster gives off very much like perhaps coming to her gayness like later in life and becoming like the ultimate lesbian mum. like yes like i can see any of the characters pretty much being oh my god john farr being like oh strong daddy <laughs> John Farr, has John Farr got bi-wife energy? <laughs> well, he's got bi-wife energy, but also, if he found a partner later in life that was a dude, he could, he just, big old teddy bear vibes. True. Mm-hmm. Everybody, every, it's literally everybody but Asriel. <laughs> Fuck that, oh, that, that tickled me. And, I mean, I would say a bunch of the Magisterium, but also a bunch of the Magisterium are probably just filled with self-loathing. True, very true. Great question, Melissa. Such a great question elicited a fucking belly laugh from me which i haven't done in a long time <laughs> okay next email is from claire hi claire hi <laughs> Sorry, i, I was like come on bitch come on bitch so one thought on boreal being down just downright bad 
One recent thought I had from your discussion of Charles in chapter seven and also from your excellent interview with Simone Kirby, thank you, uh, was how uncomplicated both Lord Boreal and Mary Malone are in terms of how we see them. I don't think there are any positive attributes we can say about Lord Boreal and the opposite is true of Mary, who exudes warmth and openness. As Simone touched on, all the other characters are a bit of a mix of good and bad or have more of a complicated history, which is one of the reasons the books are so compelling and vivid. We are all messy characters with conflicting ideas and actions. I guess Lord Boreal and Mary allow us to have a moment for us as a reader to understand who is good and bad, where Lyra herself can't see it. As you mentioned in the podcast, Lyra is blinded by her own biases towards wealth and status that have taught her that wealth is good and a shabby office is bad, and this overrides her natural instinct that there is something not right about Charles, that we, the reader, are also very aware of. I think that Philip was very aware that Charles, the Charles he conjured up was playing to stereotypes and was meant to make you as a reader feel very uncomfortable around him. Even though the book is aimed at children, I think Pullman shows that he is happy to expose them to quite adult and threatening themes. And so I think he wrote the scene with a car, consciously playing on the predatory vibes. Even as children, we can sense when something feels wrong, such as having to climb over a man to get out of a car. And it really teaches us to listen to that warning bell, even when our logical mind might tell us that a person that this is a person to trust. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love that as like considering where they sit as side characters from Will and Lyra and a lot of like ma- the main cast that you see, or as like later introductions as Mary and Boreal. Be they are quite polar opposites, and they are very like clearly like light and dark, good and bad compared to like the greys that you see with everybody else I think that's a great um analysis and yeah I agree trust your gut if it feels wrong it feels wrong and I'd completely forgotten about how he was speaking about how Lyra saw posh as good and shabby as bad (laughs) she really does she does she does and it's really important to remember especially when you're thinking about the ways that a lot of the like heroes and villains are presented to us in books and in media especially with Mrs Coulter having everything so perfect and seeming so lovely at first and the Egyptians being so, like, everything being, like, well-kept, but well-loved and well-used. And having that, like, all of these different contrasts of the way that people present themselves influencing your opinions of them is, like, ugh, so good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really liked this email for the comparison of Boreal being the only really bad character and Mary being the only really good character. Because, like, I hadn't really put them together side by side to think, oh, yeah, actually... They are very similar in that sense. Um, even though they're, co- they're, they're complete polar opposites, they have that in common. So yeah, great email. They're all bloody great emails. They're all bloody great emails. <laughs> okay, this email is from Stephanie. And also we received a very similar email from Claire on this topic. So thank you, Stephanie, and also Claire. <laughs> in chapter four, Trepanning, there are two instances in which Lyra notices odd similarities between her world and Will's. The first is an instance in which Lyra notices the initials SP carved into one of the college gates when she's in Oxford with Will, and that she speculates there might be a Simon Parslow in this world as well. Um, And the second is when she notices the furs in the Pitt Rivers Museum and that she recognises them as the ones that she wore at Bolvanger or when she was kidnapped on the way to Bolvanger. Um, and she speculates, what were these mysteries? Was there only one world after all, which spent its time dreaming of others? Which is a great quote. 
Do you think we will get concrete clarification on any other details regarding this or why the details, why these details were included, whether in a short story or the last instalment of The Book of Dust? Are we to just assume that the veil between the worlds is was thin in those moments in time and that the two worlds were able to interact with each other in this way? Or... As there are different worlds, are there different versions of the same people leading parallel lives within similar worlds? Great question. We don't know. <laughs> haven't got a fucking clue. <laughs> I love speculating about it. <laughs> yeah, the thing is as well is like the question of like whether there is a Simon Parslow in Will's Oxford and that, does that mean that there's another Lyra? Then that opens like a massive can of worms. Like all the time travel movies you've ever seen where it's like, don't run into yourself because she'll fuck everything up. Like, was there a chance that Lyra could have run into herself? Like, to me, that just doesn't sit right. It it, it feels like the, the two Oxfords are very separate. And actually, if I'm being quite honest, I actually don't really like that that is, is hinted at in the books. Like, I don't want there to be another Simon Parslow in Will's Oxford. I don't want the... Why are the furs the exact same furs? Like, it... And again, it might be... Um, that the the veil was thin between the worlds, but it, it, in my head, it just sits better that they're both completely diff- different. Like it just felt like it. It felt like it was in those moments where we saw the initials. It felt like it was trying to tell a different story, like a different genre. Like it, it felt more like sci-fi than it did like fantasy. And I, I was like, this is. I'm all for sci-fi. I'm all for those kind of like time travel esque different world stories but it just didn't feel like it fits in this one for me i think the fact that it's left ambiguous is good because i wouldn't want to be told oh there is a simon parslow in our world there's two of them and like you were saying like it's just a bit it introduces too many factors that could cause problems um i do like the idea that potentially what if it's not simon parslow what if it's cindy pritchard in the exact same place. Yeah. So it's just like some weird coincidence means that in the same place, someone with the same initials carved a thing. In Will's world, it looks like quite an old etching, right? Mm-hmm. In Lyra's world, she knows that it's quite recent because she watched him carve it there. It just so happens to be in the same place at the same time. And it's just a weird coincidence thing. Maybe. <laughs> I'd rather that. I'd rather it just be like, just something's in the air that's made these things happen, that this thing overlaps is far more satisfying to me than having to like pass out there being parallel worlds with different trajectories and the same people and I'd rather it just be like a little magical moment of coincidence eerie coincidence yeah it's weird isn't it very weird I could like I said I think in the chapter when we covered it I completely forgot that 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 was even a thing that was included it feels like the kind of thing that could have been taken out and put in a lantern slide instead Mm. yeah very true actually (laughs) exactly the kind of thing you might have found in a lantern slide yeah it does feel very lantern slidey i am very intrigued to find out if we will get any concrete clarification on it who knows the last book of dust might give us something any of the books between now and then might give us something that we've read and forgotten about and we'll talk about when we get to it um (laughs) maybe the tv show will poke phil for some more clarification on it and we'll get it from there like yeah wherever this information comes from we will speculate about it yes we will (laughs) always in for the speculation okay this next email is from david hi david hi david so david says i have issues so many issues with fathers fatherhood 
the more I think about it, just men in his dark materials. Oh, David, we're here for this. Same. <laughs> I'm sort of, though not completely, going to ignore Asriel, who's a typical representation of a great man, single-minded, arrogant, cold, and a shit, but undoubtedly the sort of person who'd eternally end up on a history curriculums and then the Telegraph would get all flouncy when some lefty person suggested there shouldn't be a vast statue to him. I really liked that part. Yes. <laughs> John Parry frustrates me there because he slides through too much, possibly because he reinvents himself as a spiritual guru, but that doubles my ire. Where Asriel is easy to rail against, it's the likes of Jopery that need watching and pulling up for their toxicity. To be honest, I sort of don't care he was heartbroken he couldn't get back to his wife and son. He made that choice. He knew he was looking for a door into a new world. He, as a military man, was used to leaving, uh, was used to leaving obviously, and my issues with the military aren't relevant, although the reaction of, I've always assumed, his parents to Mrs. Parry visiting them after his disappearance suggests that, that coldness is a family trait. He's described, admittedly by his son and reportedly by his wife, as a great man. And he shows exactly the same disregard for others that Asriel and so many men do. His work, his greatness, the big plan, trump everything else. Off he goes. Then, in his letters back before he finds the anomaly, he doesn't use Will name, Will's name, just the boy. It's symptomatic of his dis disconnection from the emotional heart of parenthood. He's invested, like Asriel, in the idea of being a father as a performance, but the reality of emotional engagement isn't his thing. Genuinely, I think the only reason he's not demonstrating just as shitty behaviour as Asriel is lack of opportunity because he's not been born into that class. That's shown when he absolutely craps on Lee, ignoring his promise, which led, Lee, uh, which led to Lee making the stand that got him killed because his idea was more important than a vow even if it was made hours earlier to someone who'd flown him across worlds and given his life for him. In today's episode, you talked about how the letter showed he found it hard to talk about his wife. Poofed. No sympathy or very limited. Another emotionally stunted, manipulative man prepared to sacrifice friends, family, honour for his notions of greatness. I'm absolutely sure he'd be bringing his son up not to cry if he was still about. I might, might forgive him some of that, a man of his class slash upbringing slash background, etc., if he showed any signs of growth. He doesn't, though. He betrays Lee for his own notions of the greater good with almost his last act. That's not a man who has any remorse for the actions he's made. For me, just as big as an ass as Asriel. Great, interesting take. The idea that the only reason he's not coming off as as much of an ass as Asriel is because he's not got the same privilege is really interesting. <laughs> We've had so many chats about comparing Joppery and Asriel and the ways in which they're presented as bad dads. It's so hard to know. My Again, my only thing is that, like, we don't know what Joppery would have been like as a dad, aside from the fact that he was so willing to walk off into another world when Will was so young. If he'd have had the opportunity to have access to Will, would he have been better? We'll never know. But we know for a fact that Asriel did have the access to Lyra to be better and did not use it. So it's just unknown assholery. Yeah, yeah, this is a thing as well. Like, it might seem, it might not seem like it sometimes when I go off on, like, Asriel and, like, other things that irk me. But, like, I do like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And, like, that's removed with Asriel because we've seen him so many times be an absolute asshole over and over again and choose not to bring up his own daughter and to treat her like shit when he does see her. But with Joppery, there's so much we don't know about him and he's been through so much trauma and I know that doesn't excuse bad behavior but I can't it's difficult for me to articulate but there's so much like you said there's so much of the unknown with him 
that I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like obviously things that he, he has done are shitty, but also like he didn't, I still stand by that he didn't know that he wouldn't be able to get back when he went into that other world. Obviously it's a risk because you're doing something completely, literally out of this world. But like, he didn't know that, like he didn't know he wouldn't be able to get back. And he spent years trying to get back. And we had all that huge conversation about grief, etc. And I don't want to like reiterate it, but I just want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, like not 100% of the benefit of the doubt, no. just a bit of it. I agree with the whole thing of like, yeah, if he was the kind of guy that would be demonstrating this like stoic behaviour to Will as a parental figure, the kind of person that would be like telling his kid not to cry if he was still around. We don't know that because we've never seen that opportunity, but we know that that's what Azrael does do. And I feel like Joffrey's shown slightly more emotional intelligence. If I'm trying to think of an example of it, there aren't many in some of the things that he's done than we've had from Azrael. Most of my disdain for John Parry comes from his obvious fucking idolization of Azrael and the fact that he betrayed Lee because of Azrael when it wasn't even really needed. And the fact that like he just didn't really listen to Lee or what Lee wanted and was still willing to let Lee die for him like that's and that comes back to Azrael <laughs> like it does like I don't want to blame Azrael for everything but um obviously they were jo they were Joffrey's actions but yeah he was kind of blinded by his obsession with what Azrael was doing and obviously again I'm not going to get into it we've spoken about Azrael's fight and how it is probably a good thing, but there's a, a way to go about it without literally shitting on everyone that's ever been in your life, ever. I think a huge thing that would help me to actually gauge what I think of John Perry would be if I could actually read that, com like, whatever, what that interaction was between Azrael and Perry. Mm. Is he sucking up to him and fawning over him? Is he challenging him on his bullshit it like what is the conversation how level of footing do they have what's going on there and just the fact that we didn't even get to have the briefest of conversations between parry and will means that we have literally no idea of how he would act towards his own son because the moment they realized he was taken away we're robbed of the opportunity of even understanding how he would treat him now that he does know, whereas we know exactly how Ly how Lyra is treated by Azrael. We know exactly how that works because we've seen it. It's just this unknown factor that makes you want to, yeah, you always want to see the good in people. It's <sighs> so true. Difficult. Difficult. I feel like it's a sticking point we're going to kind of potentially keep coming back to you because we're never going to stop ragging on Azrael. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be more people that are comparatively bad that will still decide Azrael is worse than... <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, that's just a... That's our fatal flaw in this podcast. <laughs> um, this next email is the last one. Yeah, and this is from Claire. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Claire. Claire says, I particularly love the episode on The Shaman. It was really interesting to see how by, by talking through your individual thoughts, collectively you came to a different conclusion. It was warming as it showed how talking things through with others can be really insightful, as well as the conversation itself highlighting how important it is to try not to judge someone solely on their surface actions or the way they present themselves and instead look through that to see what their experiences might have been. The way that you both had such an open and honest conversation in this episode really touched me. 
thank you thank you <laughs> thank you that kind of harks back to literally what we were just saying about Joppery as well but yeah I, I wanted to uh, wanted one of us to read that out because that was like a, a, like a special moment for us this this series of the podcast I feel like actually talking something through and changing our mind like actually on the podcast mm. and it's really lovely to think that it impacted other people as well because talking things out is incredibly important rich and i are both huge believers of of talking things out if you've seen the amount of voice notes i send rich on a fucking weekly basis that are just me like speak like just literally getting all of my thoughts out there it's so important this is why therapy is amazing the amount of stuff that you can get your head around just by the brain process that is taking it from your head out into words the amount of like organization it takes to form your thoughts into language is so useful and you don't even realize how much work your brain is doing until you're saying it out loud and that adds when you're like reading a book and making notes on it and then thinking about it and then translating into words that you say to another person and talk about there's so much computing happening (laughs) it's wild yeah 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 so useful and yeah that's why therapy is great because you bring words to feelings and it helps with the processing (laughs) definitely definitely i feel like this is book therapy (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay so claire also goes on to say this is an excellent and very long email so we've just pulled out some smaller parts i think it is really interesting how much lee's death was beautifully described and how much time phil dedicated to foreshadowing the event and really spending time with the character and getting more of his background and just how one chapter later we have the jet the death of Joppery, which is so sudden and no time is given to Joppery. the time is given to will and will's reaction quite rightly I think it was a good choice by Phil that seems to underline how Lee may not have had any family, but he chose to love Lyra as his family, as his daughter. Joppery gave up on his family and did not choose to find other deep relationships, quite understandably after all the trauma, or maybe just because he didn't give up on his family and he doesn't and he chooses not to make another close relationship. But it more feels like the renouncement of entering into those kinds of bonds again as he doesn't stay anywhere for long and only seems to be interested in the knowledge of other cultures and not the people or their communities he even foregoes his friendship or allyship with lee by going back on his promise thinking only of the higher cause and higher purpose whether it is simply that phil knows that the reader will have an emotional connection to lee and so rightly gives that time and beauty to him or he feels that lee is more noble as he says give help where you see it needed whereas joppery sacrifices helping those near in support of the higher aim aka asriel In either case, I think the angels give a good explanation as to why Joppery, and even maybe Lee, is killed off. Uh, When Will asks why they didn't stop the witch killing his father, and they reply, we would have done earlier, but his task was over once he led us to you. They no longer serve the story, and so it feels like maybe the author himself is talking in this moment. Thank you for that email. That is great. I love the idea that the reason we spent so much time with Lee is because we have he has strong emotional connections to the people around him, but there wasn't anyone around him, so we had to feel that grief for them. And when it's Roger or Joppery dying, we're not having their beautiful death spelled out for us. We're having Lyra or Will or whoever's closest to them and has the connection with them at the time doing all the feeling for us. Beautiful. Absolutely. And I also just think that, like, Joppery he just betrayed lee so my brain he doesn't he deserve, deserve like a yeah he doesn't yeah. deserve like a beautiful death with lots of feeling and all that kind of stuff 
I also love the idea that the angel saying we would have done earlier, but his task was over once he's led us to you is Phil just like Phil talking. That is so great and so sad and so interesting to think about because it's it's kind of true, isn't it really? Yeah, it's very true. The email goes on to kind of mention how Roger is used in a similar way of how like we don't get a lot of information and backstory on Roger. He's just like Lyra's best bud and that's all we know. And the the one moment we do get to spend more time with him is right before he dies. (laughs) So like it really kind of says a lot about the way that Phil uses characters for the purpose they are written for. And it's like Roger was used for the purpose of giving Lyra a little bit bit more depth (laughs) and giving Lyra a mission to go on because she had to save Roger from Bolvanger. Like that was her mission, was always find my friend Roger. And in order for her to have something to do, Roger had to exist in the first place. (laughs) And it's kind of similar with Joppery, like... Joppery was there for Lee to go on this journey and to, to pass on a message to Will. And once he'd done that, that was it. And like, just Phil using and throwing away characters. <laughs> oh, like it's nothing. Come on, Phil. Well, I'm bloody Help glad that we got an emotional moment with Lee at least, because if he'd have just scrunched him up and thrown him away like he did with Roger and Joppery, I would have been incredibly angry. Oh, God. So, so. So whilst it did eviscerate us emotionally, at least we had that moment. <laughs> yeah, you can't give us that moment of Lee draped over the armour looking all hot and then just kill him off randomly and not give us a moment. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Claire, for that email. And uh, that's it. That's all the emails we got for that's you. That's all the emails. Thank you so much to everybody that's written in. Uh, thank you if you've written in and... We've not got to your email yet. We will. I know that Faye does a very good job of replying to everybody. I usually do read them all, but I'm not as good at writing replies. That's Faye's job. Yeah, if you get a reply and it says, keep telling stories, Faye and Rich at the end, just know it's probably me. (laughs) (laughs) I will have read it. I just, I don't do good. I don't do the good writing. (laughs) We bloody love an email and we've bloody loved recording this email episode. We did. It was great. It was great fun. Yeah, keep them coming her.materialspod at gmail.com uh, we will do another mailbag at some point I'm sure if we get if we get enough emails if you have incredibly strong thoughts and feelings and you want to discuss them with a vibrant HDM pod community and get much more immediate responses from your podcast hosts join the Patreon and join the Discord because there's so much more of this kind of chat happening there and we love it we do yeah 100% I love I bloody love being in that Discord it's great yes <laughs> especially because now we have a channel that's just called demons and everyone shares cute animal photos in yeah, it it's great it's great uh also a reminder that this is our last episode until the 6th of september so we are gonna go away for a while but like i said in the intro we've got lots of stuff going on patreon uh so yeah join us join us there but yeah we'll, we'll miss being in your ears for a little bit yeah thank you so much thank you. <laughs> Potentially, what we love more than a bloody email is a bloody review. And we are still running our review giveaway, whereby if you leave us a review, screenshot it, and send us an email with that screenshot in to her.materialspod at gmail.com, that email is your entry into a prize draw, where when we hit 50 entries, we'll pull out 10 names from a hat, and nine of those 10 will get some cool HDM pod bookmarks, and then the 10th person will get the full merch pack, which, by the time you get to it, will include the stickers for season one and season two. 
this prize just got better because of time. It's because of time. And also maybe some other stickers that yeah. will hopefully be in the store soon. I should have said that at the beginning. Hopefully you've made it all the way to the end and you will hear that we might have some new stickers soon. So, yeah. woohoo. <laughs> but yes, as, as we always say, please give us five stars, say nice things. We really appreciate it. If you don't want to write a review or you can't, give us a shout on social media, give us a follow uh, or just tell a friend. Tell a HDM living friend about yes. us. We've got lots of episodes to catch up on if they start from the oh, beginning. Yeah, we're absolutely <laughs> binge worthy now. <laughs> we are, we truly are. Wow, what a, what an accolade. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at HDMPod. And you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not reading your lovely emails you can find me hanging out on twitter and instagram at faily which is f-a-y-e-l-e triple y and if you want to read some of my old blog posts i'm on medium at say.ducker i'm rachel and when i'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about your lovely emails i'm making cute and magical arty things you can find me over on instagram at rachemakes on twitter and tiktok at rach underscore makes and over in my online shop rachemakes.co.uk huge thanks as always to johnny knott for his musical stylings and we'll see you in september (laughs) and don't forget keep telling stories and all will be well Bye-bye.